Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? This is Trevor. Um, and just some housekeeping. Go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and get a bunch of bonus episodes and and extra goodies. Get access to the voice in Discord chat server. Get show notes. Get um, get also the newsletter, which will be um, starting up again soon. And some other stuff that I'm sure I'm forgetting, but I really want to get into the meat of the show today. So uh, you guys know the routine by now. And we have with us um, two guests. So I'll go by alphabetical order and start with uh hussein hi uh do i introduce do i have to introduce myself oh yeah yeah just just tell people who you are and where to find you and i didn't i didn't want to like overstep on your show and everything (laughs) Um, it's all good yeah no i'm based in london i am a co-host on the podcast trash future i also host um a spin-off show called Ten Thousand posts which is a uh podcast about tweets that have like burnt my brain um i also kind of do journalism like i used to be an editor at mel magazine where i also where i wrote about the uh, subject of today's show um and um uh, I wrote a book last year, which, uh, yeah, like I keep forgetting I did that, but that happened. <laughs> yeah, give, give a name of the book. Is it available? Oh, yeah, yeah, on- sorry. Yeah, so my, so, so, sorry. So the book was called Follow Me, Aki, The Online World of British Muslims. It was based on a uh, dissertation that I did not complete um, back in 2013. Uh, and it's about uh, online culture and uh, British Muslim identity and kind of like how these two things, like uh, what they say about uh, the Muslim experience in Britain today. Yeah, one of the reasons why I thought mentioning uh, your book was really important is because uh, the, sh- the subject we're talking about today, which is uh, Rami, so mm-hmm. much of it derives, I feel, from Muslim Twitter or the Muslim online community. Yeah. You know, I thought I thought that would make you a great guest to, yeah. to have on well, it. because 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 yeah. you probably know a lot more about the memes. Is, like, I'm not on or in Muslim Twitter at all. And even I recognize some of the memes just by, mm. like, you know, overspill into yeah. other parts of Twitter. So <laughs> I'm, I'm like yeah. this. There's probably a lot of memes and posts that I I just have no... Yeah, I spent a lot of time on that space so like there's definitely some crossover and like we can talk about that um oh. on the show also because i think that like uh the writers or creators of that show also like paid a lot of attention to twitter uh which will be something that we'll, i guess we'll talk about as well yeah and we are all other guests as a returning guest uh nashville khan if you just want to remind people who you are and where to find you yeah so uh my name is nashville lena khan and um i got a personal twitter account again because people kept i don't know i was messing up with my podcast account so you can find at N-A-S-H-W-A-L-I-N-A. Um, I currently have a podcast called Muslim Rum Springa, and uh, I, I'm interested in this stuff because uh, I'm, I guess, part of Muslim Twitter. I don't know, but British and North American Muslim Twitter are so different, so doing this in mm. conversation with Hussein is going to be really fun, I think. Because <laughs> um, we kind of, we beef, but we don't beef Muslim and North American yeah. Muslim Twitter, but um, North American Twitter kind of acts like British Muslim Twitter is like, ISIS. I don't know. Yeah, no, was, yeah, yeah. I did, it, it's it's really okay. bad. Like, but like then British Muslim Twitter acts like um, North American Muslim Twitter is like wild too. But yeah, this is like interesting to uh, me. Uh, wild in wild in what way? Like 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 when you say a North American Twitter. Uh, thinks British Twitter is like ISIS. That conjures up an image where I can understand, but uh, you didn't really <laughs> conjure up a, a similar image when you say uh, wild. For like, what kind of wild is um? Hussein can Twitter's? confirm if I'm correct about this, but they think we're like living like in sin and like <laughs> eating pork and like partying. I don't know. Like British Twitter is always like, oh, we're happy we're not like those North American heathens who like don't know the religion. <laughs> 
Yeah, I guess there's always there is like this, this feel this, it feels like there's this perception among like British Muslims on online where and I and I feel like my theory is part of it is kind of like grappling onto a particular type of identity. Um, but also it's this one based on history as well. Like it's based on like what groups like migrated to the UK, um, what kind of economic opportunities they got. So I feel like overall and like um I know this is a very generalized picture, but overall it feels like Muslims in North America sort of kind of integrated more toward or like they kind of ascended more to to like upper middle upper middle class strata in a way that lots of British Muslim communities didn't, and the ones who did kind of were are so culturally separate from the ones who don't. So like even in the UK, there's like such a separation between um, Muslims that sort of really kind of uh, they play out over class lines rather re- rather than like just identitarian lines. Yeah, and this is like a perfect bridge to Rami because I'm sure British Muslims watch Rami and they're like, this confirms everything we've thought about you people. I could totally see that. I yeah. could totally. Uh, well, what was interesting yeah what was interesting was that for the british for the british muslims who did watch rami they all come from a very particular kind of class strata anyway um so for them like it's it's interesting it was interesting getting like a scope of opinion because uh when you were talking to and most of the people that i spoke to like in terms of british muslims who watched rami like they were all kind of you know upper middle class uh twitter people working in media publishing etc um and their perception of rami i feel like would be very different to um if you were coming from like a working class area of 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 the uk and you were trying to like compare your muslim experience with the experience shown and or depicted on the show um not just for kind of like national reasons but also just like it would it would i feel like it would sort of feel very distant and disparate now i was watching uh rami and one thing about from my experience it's a little bit different because I can't just say my experience is a black experience because I come from a black immigrant background where my parents weren't born here. I was I was born here, but my parents were born in Haiti. But one thing I always find, one thing I always find when I watch shows like this, like Master of None or any other show, if it's about um, East Asian, uh, second generation immigrants or whatever, is that I always end up identifying with a lot of it um, in a way that I think somebody who is uh, black American descended from American slavery would not. So it's kind of like I kind of halfway understand a lot of that world because there's so much of the stuff that I think kind of crosses racial lines, which is like um, cringing at your parents, you know, when they come around your uh, friends from from the country or whatever, or just like uh, culture gap stuff. So there was a sense in which, you know, I did understand a lot of the tropes that they were going for. But then there were other parts where I was just kind of on the outside looking in and I didn't really understand what was going on. I had no way to gauge if what I was seeing was um, accurate or whatever. But one thing that kind of bothered me about the show, and this is going to sound kind of weird, but the show felt really Jewish to me. It felt really like, there's a type of fiction that I feel like Jewish American people do. Uh, Woody Allen, Neil Simon, a lot of, even if it's not explicitly about something Jewish, like Catcher in the Rye, like, because I'm a fan of those type of novels. I don't know why. I just really like uh, Jewish American fiction. And mm. and I've read like a lot of it. There's another book called, called called Endless Love. It's a really good novel, but they all have a certain type of, Mad Men's another example. Mad Men is not on the surface about Jewish people, but it has that same type of neuroticism about fitting in, about being with Gentile women, about imposter syndrome. It has this very kind of, this kind of class, the socially claustrophobic neurotic vibe 
of um, bouncing identities that I feel like a lot of um, Jewish American fiction has. So it felt like a lot of that. It felt like a lot of that. Um, it felt like a lot of that typical second generation American or European immigrant story. But it just felt very Woody Allenish to me in a in a way that made me. I was surprised when you said that he was surprised that Americans liked it so much because I'm like, this is so their tone. This is so their wheelhouse. Just about Muslims. Like like I don't know if he was being disingenuous when he said that, but yeah. I mean, that's basically. Mm. Mm. I think I I don't know like where to start with it because I know that this was there were like two seasons of this show. Yeah, uh, there's like a lot going on, so like um, I'm sure like we'll break that down. I think the immediate thing that I kind of found when I was with, found when I was watching it was like this is like an A20. Yeah, um, totally. It's very very stylistic. It's very polished. And I feel like in this, in a very similar vein to how like Master of None kind of, I don't know if Master of None really felt innovative, but just kind of like the kind of the aesthetics of it and like the editing choices and stuff sort of gave it this very prestigious sheen. And I think yeah. that kind of like translated to Rami where like when that's like one of the most immediate things that, oh, you know, but like the lighting is so good and like the editing choices are really interesting. And this isn't just like a conventional type of Muslim comedy coming of age story like this there's like you know it feels kind of artistic in terms of at least as aesthetic um and i sort of wonder like whether that like obscures some of the um like it, it, I, do you know what i mean i feel I, I wonder if like it takes away from some of like the immediate understanding or at least trying to understand what's going on or what's actually like the messages that are trying to be said uh I wonder if like it takes it, it takes away from those messages, which clearly are like quite important, at least to the show and the show's writers. I mean, yeah. oh, go ahead. So go, go on, Nashua. Well, I guess like, yeah, the way it's filmed makes it so beautiful that it's like hard to critique at times, right? Like there's mm-hmm. like scenes that are so specifically filmed in this like, I guess, A24 way where you're just like, because people tie things to emotions. So like I saw people trying to like talk about like some things don't end nicely, I guess, or in a way where there's like closure. But people are like, oh, but the scene looked very beautiful and they have um, a lot of the scenes have like what people have identified in some writing as uh, bi lighting like <laughs> bisexual lighting you know what I mean mm-hmm. the reds and the purples yeah, yeah yeah and it's like very intentional and like pretty and then I think people like lose maybe what's being said in those scenes but they're beautiful scenes like the, the lighting and the, the is way that what they that's look. called because I noticed that's very prevalent these days yeah like, it's, like it's been shows. called I think the Guardian had one of the first articles on it maybe but yeah bisexual lighting and, and Rami has bisexual lighting throughout both seasons but especially season two you see it in like quite a few scenes i don't know why it's called like bisexual lighting like i forget the origin but it's a little i don't know mm-hmm. it's it's a24 lighting to me i feel like the a24 stuff is not just it's not they i feel like the a24 stuff is not just about how it visually uh, looks but also like a mood like a pacing like it, it's it's a whole film language you mm-hmm. know about um how things get paced where the dialogue beats are and the pauses and the and the way that you have conversations and the way that you kind of elevate like the mundane like there's a banality to the misery that I think is very um A24 like when A24 does a horror movie it's not really crazy vampires or whatever or but even if it is it'll be like um 
vampires in a cubicle farmers. It'll be something that kind of uh, shows like the horror, the comedy, whatever, in the banality of life. And I think this show kind of superficially tracks a lot of those tropes in a way that kind of makes you almost assume depth or innovation is happening. And you're not even sure if it's just because so many other innovative uh, or things have had that language and you're just kind of feeling that same depth by association, like a, like a Pavlov's dog or, you know, type of thing, you know? Yeah, and I guess the, sur- the surrealism, I don't know if like A24 always has that type of surrealism that Rami has in season one and two, but um, I don't know how we're going to, how you want to dive into it, but the surrealism that's used is, is interesting and sometimes I think it lands, sometimes I don't think it lands um you don't have to take my cue on how to dive into it dive into it any way you want i don't know I, like i don't know how you both felt about the surrealism but um with people who listen to this i would hope know there are spoilers um but the the grandpa and the gun <laughs> i don't know i was i was just like what's going on like is this actually what's happening or is this not what's happening the osama mm-hmm. dream sequence like there's a few there's a few different moments i feel like a lot of it was like pointless it was just kind of okay, here's here's what i here's what i think I, about a lot of that stuff I feel like I used to kind of when I used to like write fiction and stuff or fiction classes and stuff like that there was this kind of, I think uh, and so I think maybe maybe I'm projecting this onto other people but I feel like I used to always kind of want to write about my experiences but write about it in a way that kind of shows hey I'm not a rube I'm hip so it's like I'm going to write about minority stuff but it's not going to seem like a Tyler Perry thing it's not going to seem like because I feel like a lot of cultures they're only own type of fiction or whatever doesn't really have a lot of that surrealism or French new wave kind of feel going to it. It's just a lot more literal, a lot more melodramatic. Like, like for example, I know, I know in, uh, I've been told in uh, Egyptian immigrant communities, like Egyptian soap operas are like really big, you know, but, but you can't have something with that type of tone of, you know, on its faceness, that literalness um, to impress American or European white critics, you know? So you're going to have to have a tone that might be off-putting to you, what your parents like or what your parents would like to um, watch themselves if they had a choice uh, and kind of put in the kind of tropes or I don't want to call it virtue signaling um, but uh, I guess western sensibility signaling that kind of lets uh, critics know okay um, I'm watching something uh, elevated you know it's about mm. something foreign but this safely lets me know I'm watching something that's um, elevated you know that's like in the language of Sundance and and uh, whatever mm. so I felt a lot of that didn't really come out organic I felt like a lot of it was kind of place to show his sensibility. Mm. It, 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 did, it did sort of feel like they were kind of like stand-up bits. And I think some of them were like, some of them were like his kind of old stand-up bits that were sort of made into, they were made into not necessarily skits, but like just parts of the show. So I think that like the Osama dream sequence in the first season, um, when he has like a wet dream in which he confronts this, well, in which like Osama bin Laden is like part of his dream sequence. That came from a uh, Rami Yusuf bit. I think that he may, I think like he performed it at least like in 2015 or something like that in the first episode when he's on a date with a Muslim woman um, I think it's like on the first episode and he's talking about how like 9-11 was a great day for him because he like I don't know if you guys remember that but like you know he won a lottery he, what he'd like uh, got a promotion at work and kind of like won a prize or something like that um, you know that was also like a Rami Yusuf like stand-up bit which eventually got incorporated into the show. And I think there were like lots of kind of bits of his stand-up that were kind of peppered in there. But like, rather than sort of just being like skits, which are like almost on the sideline, they've, they've kind of become integrated in the story, but in a very half like half hazardly way. It's all, it, it feels very awkwardly placed. 
let me ask you guys this. If you guys had to sum up the show, and if someone just said sum it up without any further uh, elaboration, just sum up your feelings on the show and what you think the show is about and who it's for, um, how would you do that? Like, I'll start with you, Nashua, since Hussein spoke last. Okay, um, I think it's dizzying and chaotic. Uh, I think it's targeted towards um, not Muslim women. <laughs> the audience is not supposed to be Muslim women. I don't know a Muslim woman who is really satisfied with it, who's a critical thinker. I think it's definitely targeted towards like almost like humanizing, which is fine, and like proliferating different narratives about young Muslims to like a general audience. But I don't think it's for older Muslims either, which is also fine. But I don't think it's for the audience that maybe non-Muslims think it's for, which is interesting to me. But um, yeah, I think it's the trials and tribulations of like a a brown waste man, as we'd say in Toronto, in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How about yourself? uh, Oh, oh, one last question. Do you think it was funny? And if not, do you think that was a failing of the show? I think there were parts that were funny. Um, I think there are funnier shows. I would argue the unpopular route that I think Master of None the comedy wasn't just recycled bits off Twitter or like old skits necessarily and still hit on some of the same things. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it was it was funny sometimes. Sorry, what was the other part? But I'm just like thinking about was it funny? <laughs> some things were so weird that I, oh, oh, I don't know if they landed. <laughs> oh, uh, no, no, I was asking, do you think it was a failing that oh. uh, it wasn't funny? Because 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 I noticed that uh, it's a people keep calling it. People keep telling me it was a great comedy, and I'm like, is it even really a comedy? There were I feel like season two just gave up on even trying to be a comedy. Season two I think was straight up just a drama. Even though ironically it did have some funnier episodes. It did have some episodes like where he visits. Um, uh, the the donor that I think was the closest that it came to being just a straight up uh, comedy, you know, the one with Mia Khalifa. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for I the think, most part, I think it gave up even trying to pretend it was a comedy. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't house it under the label of comedy. But now I'm interested in what Hussein has to say because <laughs> yeah. like this is brown waste man drama. <laughs> like, yeah. Um. So to answer like, your first question, I think that the um. I don't know what I, I I genuinely don't know what the or who the audience was for, but I can imagine that like the people who sort of like found it the most interesting or at least like the most resonant would either be like brown film guys, uh, <laughs> um, also like waste men, but like in a, in a very different capacity, just like guys who love who like love aesthetics and love lighting and. Um, I would I generally kind of identify as like cultural, maybe like cultural Muslims or like um, kind of semi-practicing Muslims, etc. Uh, I think that also it was something that was designed for critics. Um, I think lots of stuff lends itself to discourse and think pieces. Um, and lots of it was marketed in a way which was like, you know, oh, here's this like practicing Muslim comedian who um, doesn't drink alcohol and doesn't eat pork and stuff. But, you know, he also has like a rougher edge to him because, you know, he acknowledges his problems and he uses his comedy to like work through his problems and stuff. Um, I think that like Rami was, Rami Yusuf, the comedian was packaged in such a way where like he was the most interesting part as in he the writer was the most interesting part of the show rather than any of his characters yeah he, well, well you know it's weird in a, in a way even though he's he's clearly trying to make himself the most interesting part of the show i still think he kind of fails and accidentally makes the other people more interesting as far as sorry let me take it back potentially interesting as in he didn't really flesh out anybody he didn't really uh, really build them up except really as um, kind of extensions or people to play off of him. But except for maybe Dina, Dina comes the closest to, um, and to a degree, maybe the mother, even though she's so kind of reduced to caricature. Mm-hmm. I, I, at least she spent more time 
with her. So at least she's like, uh, if such a thing is possible, a more three dimensional caricature. As in, like you get to see her, like, like, like there's a solipsism to a lot of the characters where it feels like when Rami's not around, they cease to exist. You don't, you don't, you don't really feel like they exist except when Rami's around. Whereas at least Dina, one episode for the father and. Uh, uh, two episode, two episodes for Dina, two episodes for the mother, and one episode for the father is like the one of the few times you get to really see people exist outside of reacting mm. uh, to Rami. But the little pieces I get out of all the other characters made me think, wow, I would love to actually know more about this character, but I know I'm going to be dragged back to um, Rami. Like, I, w- I would love to see a whole show about the Sheikh, for example. And his daughter, you know, or even the friend that owns the diner. I was kind of wondering, like, what exactly is his bit, you know? Um, but it forced you to spend a lot of time with Rami. So I think it almost has feeling like he's actually the most interesting character. But just because you know the most about him, not because he's naturally, um, you know, has a lot more to him, if that makes sense. I need, to, I need to think about this a little bit more. Sorry, uh, no I was. I mean, one thing I one thing I was going to say was that, like, even in the episodes where other characters are focused on, I guess, like, I was in. I I, I had like a split view because on the one hand, I was like, even the episodes which focus on Rami don't really tell us like that much interesting stuff about Rami. Um, like the whole. both seasons sort of focus on like it's supposed to be like a coming of age story or at least kind of a story about like a kind of guy in his 20s who's like trying to you know figure out who he is and I think that like makes an endearing premise at least for like a very basic show that kind of deals with kind of very relatable topics um but the kind of issue that you get especially like in the second season when Rami's changes like his religious changes like do affect his family and they do affect like the way that the family both interact with him but also see themselves yeah I mean I I agree with that there's not much actually inherently interesting about him you know what it's like um there's the type of guy and a type of girl yeah. like, like the, the male version is basically i guess what you call like a fuck boy you know uh, or or as, as nostro said a, a waste yeah. man and then the female version i guess is like a, a horse girl you know that we need like some kind of sylvia platt type girl but minus the talent who just thinks her every um yeah. thought is transcendent you know and yeah and and it's like he felt kind of like that where he just i think felt Hey, I'm problematic, but I know I'm problematic, uh, and that alone uh, counts for a lot. It's kind of like yeah, Drake. That, it, it, that, it's, that, it's, very, yeah. It's, it's like a Muslim Drake, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what? The Drake, the Drake stuff is such a good point because I feel like just as a like on on um on a cultural level, like lots of Muslim men sort of like see themselves like they always like view themselves as. Uh, as well, we kind of like look at Drake almost as kind of like a symbol, right? Of like someone that they can be. And part of that is just to do with like Drake, like lots of people being able to project themselves on the character of Drake. But you're right in completely saying that like, I feel like with lots of um, the writing with Rami, I feel like there was a lot of, you know, I guess the idea that you could get away with him just being like a flawed character and that's it and not really like, and that's why I kind of felt that even though most of the series did kind of focus on Rami and Rami's journey, it didn't really tell us a lot about him, Right. And it leaves us at the end of season two, um, not really, I feel like not really feeling a lot of sympathy for him, um, at least kind of like not even really being interested in his journey as much as we should be. And like the um, the, the episodes of other characters were like a good way of exploring how like Rami's decisions can like affect his family and like affect kind of his community as a whole. And they didn't really do that either. And I feel like where Master of None, when they did standalone stories, like that kind of told us about at least like the universe that um, Master of None is set in, it didn't really do that for Rami. You know, one thing that's really weird 
is that it, like and and Nashville kind of hinted at this too. There's this kind of thing where it's really, really wrong, so to speak, and I put wrong square quotes to like anything about Master of None, but honestly like and i feel like you're not supposed to think this but i thought master of none did a lot of things better than this i, I it's the mm. easiest show to compare to this but i mean master of none i think leaned too heavy into the assimilationist uh part of this type of wasteman you know but i think it's just, as far as uh being a character study i feel like master of none was just much much better at just being interesting to watch like like when i i feel like this was trying to be an endurance test because i think it felt like this is what it needs to be deep it needs to be depressing i feel like new shows now feel like they have to be depressing to be deep but they're depressing without any real deep insight um i think people feel like in the audience that they've kind of felt a breakthrough because i feel like with psychological breakthroughs there's a traumatic aspect to any type of psychological breakthrough. But the other mm. part of a psychological breakthrough is uh, insight. And I feel like there's not a real insight. Like, I feel like a good tragedy or a, dr- a depressing drama should give you the sense that, you know, it's about something and it was born from that something. And the author gleaned some insight from that something that they're trying to infuse back into the retelling so that anybody who's watching it can kind of get the benefit of the author having gone through it. You know, even if it doesn't give you a pat answer or a happy um, uh, ending, it at least gives you a little bit of insight or explanatory power that at least leaves you a little bit better off. But I feel like a lot of these new uh, millennial guys kind of just, just want to mirror the audience's misery back at them and just say, hey, I'm relatable. Yeah. I'm just like you. Yeah, yeah. Stuck in a bored marriage. Hate your life. Yeah. Here. Here's yeah. someone who does the same thing. And then they just set you adrift. Like, okay, well, now you know you're not alone. That's kind of something, right? All right. Bye. And yeah. this thing had like a lot of that. And it's not just this. I feel like a lot of shows have that now. And it's so celebrated that's encouraging more people to make um fiction like that and and master of none for what it's worth i felt like um he does the he i could see why he's annoying i can see why a lot of people don't like him but to his credit i feel like he's trying to figure things out you know yeah yeah i guess also oh sorry go ahead I was I was just gonna say as like a quick like quick thing with at least with like Master of None, um, it feels like there is like a character arc of some sort, mm-hmm. right? Even if even if the arc is something about like was boring and like yeah. tedious and kind of like something that we didn't necessarily all agree with, like there was at least like a character like he, he the, the character grows and sort of dis- makes a decision, and I feel with Rami like no real decisions were made, and like the moment when a decision was made or felt like it was going to be made, like. They just kind of reversed it and they reversed it in a way which sort of, it wasn't even a shock. It just kind of felt like, huh, okay. So like nothing really changed from like episode one, season one. I guess, yeah. And I guess like this, this needs to be sad, but also how many times can somebody like mess up and that be their character arc? There's no development in in the whole Pardon? I'm saying Bojack Horseman. Oh. Uh, they got six seasons out of that. Yeah, that's, that's, but like, can Rami survive another season of just Rami like sucks? Like, that's what I wonder. Like, that yeah. Rami's just like a bad like Muslim like waste man. Like, is that like I I don't know. Like, that's what's weird about yeah. this. I mean, I'm and with that, you on that, but at the same time, Bojack Horseman lasted six seasons and it was just. But, well, but you know what? Bojack Horseman had the illusion of growth, so I guess maybe that helped. Where, but also, he, 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 yeah, sorry, yeah, go on. I, I was gonna say also Bojack had like a lot like Bojack also like established as a, like a universe right it established like lots of different characters and all those characters true. had different arcs and like I I I haven't watched like a, I haven't watched like most of the seasons of Bojack I, 
I uh, I signed it, kind of got stuck at season three, so I need to watch the rest of it. So it could have changed by now. Um, but to me, it sort of seemed like there were lots of characters kind of going through their own journeys who were also just as interesting and like were just as kind of um, insightful um, and complimented. Yeah, whereas with the Rami thing, again, it all kind of centers on Rami, which is fine. I don't think that's like a bad kind of thing to do, but like it was one of those things where the writers didn't really seem to make a commitment to that. So it was kind of like, we're going to make the show just about Rami, but also that's kind of it. And like, no one else is going to like help us understand who this character is. And you're just going to have to like accept that. And like, here's a few kind of filler episodes. Yeah. I think a lot of the the narrative feelings and, and like what you said about um, not having a commitment to um, anything, I think a lot of that comes from, and you said this, I think it's so right, film school guy kind of thought. And I, I could mm. also say like dorm room philosopher and stuff like it's stuff where his age really comes through where you get really uh, enamored by your banal great insights. Like, you know, it's like the first time, you know, you get high and you think things are so deep, like, hey, when I see the cutter blue, is it the same thing you see when you see the cutter blue and you think like, wow, you've made like this stunning insight. Then you find out there's like 200 years of philosophy um, mm. written about questions like that. It's not that uh, insanely original a thought, but because it's the first time it occurred to you, you think it's like amazing. Yeah. I thought there was a lot of that going on where pride yourself so much on things that aren't as great as it thinks. Like this idea, and I feel like a lot of TV does this now where it's like, hey, the old, bad, outdated TV and movies always told you what to think about everything, you know? But uh, we're new now, we're mature. We don't have to tell you how to think. What if we just don't give you any idea how to feel about anything and leave it to the yeah. audience? That makes us deep, right? And it's like, <laughs> after a certain point, that can only go so far. Like, like, um, like I understand that not everything can be black and white, good or evil, whatever, but it kind of has to have some type of stance on something um yeah it, it doesn't have to fall into rapidly cheerleading or mm. um more realistically condemning there's a lot of ways you can kind of show an insight or a worldview or a feeling about something without being preachy and i feel like this yeah. thing just uh, under the illusion of depth doesn't commit itself to like, like i'll give i'll give one tangible example because i don't want to just speak in in vagueness one example is the um the virtual the virtual praying. There's two times where they kind of talk about virtual praying. One is the donor who hires like the Michael Jordan of uh, praying to pray for him. And then another one where the guys are using VR to do VR praying. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, is it endorsing this? Is it a commentary on right. on um, the superficiality of technology? And is it talking about how technology is ruining uh, spirituality? Is it talking about, hey, there's a million ways to be spiritual? And I guess yeah. the fact that everyone can have a different take on something is interesting to a degree. But I think it kind of becomes the point where anything, if, if everything can mean anything, then after a while, everything means nothing. I think you touched on something interesting there because there were two, there was there was another scene in the first season that was sort of like that, which was when um he goes to the party with his uh with his girlfriend or like this is the first time that they're like hooking up and stuff and him and his uh his mates go to uh go to this party um and the more religious one is like I need to pray somewhere so like there's this montage of this scene where like pop music's playing in the background Rami and his girlfriend are dancing and his friend is like in the bedroom praying um again all of it has like lesbian lighting bisexual lighting uh sorry in, in all that and it's like it's it's such an interesting scene to watch but when I think about it now I'm kind of like yeah the 
there was, there was nothing really being said in that. What it, what it seemed to be more was like, what if you took a few tweets from like Muslim Twitter about like, um, so say look with your VR example, the idea that, you know, cause it was an interesting underlining theme there, which was, um, so this scene is when, uh, one of Rami's friends, uh, kind of says that, you know, someone is doing, uh, someone's gone to Hajj to Mecca. Um, as part of Hudge and they're filming it on their phone. So he's going to plug in via VR and he's going to ex- get to experience the whole thing. And the guy who's like filming for him, he's going to like get all the rewards on his behalf, which is something that happens in like some Muslim cultures. And there's kind of a lot of conversations about like, you know, whether it actually, whether you can actually do that or whether like just seeing, you know, Makkah on your, uh, on, uh, on your Facebook live is enough to kind of justify um, the spiritual rewards you get from that. And I think you're right in kind of saying it would have been really interesting if like they had explored maybe the superficiality of like technology and spirituality or the way in which like uh, Rami and Rami's friends like look for kind of hacks. They look for kind of workarounds. So even in the last episode of season two, um, the same friend is talking about how, you know, you know, it doesn't matter if you like, if you don't quite love this woman that you're marrying because you can marry a bunch of other wives. That's like the hack of Islam or something like that. And it, um, and it's only like the non-Muslim friend whose name I can't remember, but he's, uh, he's, um, Steve, he, Steve. Right. And he's the one who's just like, you're a fucking idiot. If you think like, he's the only person that points this out. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it's kind of just like left. It's just like left as a bit. And it's kind of like, okay, so all the kind of really interesting elements that, you could have worked on and it would have been like a, it would have been like a more interesting show about Muslim American culture, like Muslim youth culture. They were just reduced as like segments. And the story that you went with was this very kind of like mundane thing where like no one really changes. Yeah. It feels very self-congratulatory just for observing this Mm. stuff, but not kind of realizing how kind of banal it is just as an observation, you know, like uh, without anything else besides this. Like, you're not the first person to observe this. It's like the guy who got stoned uh, yesterday wasn't the first person to think about, do you see the same color of blue that I do? Like, it's it's a cliche, it's a cliche almost, you know? Like, um, I, I think another way you can get around not uh, being too judgy or picking one side is you can have two or three different views and try to ar- argue them out to their and conclusion and then not pick a winner but at least you've done so much fleshing out of each side of the equation so he could have had the two characters like steve and the muslim guy have a long in-depth debate about it and then end it with no one being right or wrong so at least you know the audience can grapple with it like like that like like but instead it just brings up both sides touches on it a little bit and the audience has to do all the heavy lifting of um thinking everything uh through well, I guess all of Rami is like a sampler, right? It's like a sampler platter. That's how I view Rami, actually. That's my summary. Because if you think about it, even um, even like, yeah, every single lesson that's given about Islam throughout the two seasons is a sampler. Nothing's ever actually fully explained in a deep way, which is kind of, you see it in that scene with the multiple wives, because that's like something that's way more complicated than what's presented and only Steve descends. And then with his friend Ahmed, the doctor, you often see him being kind of the person who pushes back on like the quote unquote immoral impulses that Rami might have and Mo, the other friend might have. But then you see him when he like wants to gamble. He That's like, I wish we like, we got into his storyline a bit because he's so interesting and he's like the married friend who's like the responsible friend who prays, but you just never get that dimension of his like yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of it is that even 
unfleshed out, the other characters are more potentially interesting. Like I'm like I've seen a million fuckboys or waste men, but that's a type. That's a type. <laughs> that's a type that I don't really see much on TV. So even underdeveloped, they feel like more potentially interesting. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, the Uncle Nassim character is, was one of I think that's the most developed character between two seasons. And, and he only got one episode. One thing yeah. I'll say about season two is that I think what about what Hussein was saying, it feels more like Master of None in that it at least tried to have an overarching narrative. Whereas season one, the sampler platter feel happened in both seasons. But I feel like season one was just pure sampler platter, platter, but not just sampler platter, but sampler platter of misery. Like it was just like, I want you to feel really bad about your life. Uh, after each episode, and I want to make sure everyone gets to turn and feel bad. So, you know, uh, if you're disabled, here's one that might drive you to suicide. Hey, are you a Muslim girl? Uh, hey, here's one that might uh, make you uh, slice your wrist, you know? Uh, are you are you this? And I just felt like it would just drag you. There was a lot of dragging you to the edge and then setting you adrift in that first one. The second one, I felt, tried to have an actual overarching storyline and the the samplers weren't as miserable like like when um the father lost his job at the end it kind of tries to have some kind of takeaway from from it you know like like we talked to his son and feels like you know life hasn't been worthless or whatever when he or when dina um has that law school episode you know it wasn't as pointless as the first dina episode which i thought was horrifying for season one like it does. I feel like season two was better than season one, but it still had the same problems at the end of the day, even if it's to a lesser degree. Like the overarching narrative still wasn't that good of overarching narrative. It just was dropped for, it could have been four episodes really of um, um, meet the shake, hung out with the girlfriend, hang out with, with his daughter, get engaged and, and mess up. That could have been four or five episodes, you know? Um, the sampler episodes still kind of relied too much on making the audience cringe. But I mean, that's all I want to say. I feel like season two was an improvement, but it's kind of like, do you want to go through 20 episodes just to get to not so bad? See, I, 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 I wasn't sure whether like season one or season two is better for me because I feel like I have sympathy with in regards to season one because often with these types of things, like there is kind of, you have to sort of prove that it works and maybe the sample platter like approach while not kind of ideal. Because I feel like Master of None season one was kind of like that as well, right? Like yeah, it was kind yeah. Of like a, yeah. I agree, but I feel like it was a sampler platter that had a little more empathy. Like, like for example, it wasn't just sampling so you can feel everybody was miserable. Like, for example, yeah. I, don't, I remember the season one or season two, but the African immigrant episode or the lesbian episodes, they felt like they were there to be more than just be grinding misery. Like the African immigrants had like sucky aspects of their lives, but part of the aspects yeah. of their lives that, you know, surprisingly joyous. Like there's six of us in a room with our families back home, but we can still have laughs and watch soccer together on the phone and have see, these. Yeah. yeah. See, I kind of wonder whether like, and maybe this is just like a British, like from kind of my perspective of things, but like Rami feels like it's like a sad, like when you were asking like, who's, what is this, what is this series for? Or who is this series for? I feel like one of the kind of demographics they are kind of targeting are like sad boys, right? Um, people who just like to kind of, re and Rami is really that guy. He's like the sad boy, like really in your feelings kind of fuck boy um, dude. But like, I don't know. I feel like at least uh, I know people who are like that. And like, I feel like I might have some of those characteristics myself, um, which is maybe why I was kind of like, my opinions of it now were very different to how it was when I first reviewed season one. 
you know, but I feel with like this, with like season two, because like the the underarching narrative, or the overarching narrative, even of like this whole show is about a guy who's trying to kind of like come to terms with his faith, and um, he is trying to do this by uh, he's trying to do this basically through marriage. That seems to be like the overarching thing of like both seasons, and the first one kind of like explores to a degree like how futile that is so like the thing that i really liked about season one was like when he went to egypt and when um when uh his cousin uh is dina like his yeah his cousin dina um takes him to the uh to the like sufi uh the sufi mosque and there's like a moment in where in there where it sort of feels like it's the first time that he's kind of thinking about like having a connection with his faith that isn't tangentially related or like dependent on someone else. And obviously that gets ruined very, very fast. But I appreciated there was that moment, which is very different from like how the series first started. Whereas in the second season, like it feels as if all those lessons were kind of forgotten, but we don't actually understand why they're forgotten. Like it almost didn't it like, I don't know what, whether you guys felt this as well, but didn't it feel really weird how like if the second season was really him trying to um, get over his like breakup with Dina or like whatever happened, which we don't even find out until the last episode anyway. Oh, oh wait, wait, like, wait, wait. Uh, Dina is the sister. Let, oh, okay. So yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah. It's like, you're going to fulfill every stereotype. That- <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. so, who, so, so, so what, who, what was the cousin's name again? Amani. Uh, Amani, that's it. I'm sorry. I'm very no, sorry. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No problem. No, I don't want listeners to, to listen and be like, <laughs> no, oh my it's God, funny. Is, is it really it's so funny. Bad? I thought it was no, so the, funny. No, it's, 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 it's very, it's, it's kind of late in the, it's kind of late in the UK. Yeah, I've, no been, problem, I've done no like problem. four, and I've done four show, four podcasts today. So my oh. brain is like really mush, mush today. Wow. Um, okay. Sorry. Okay. So when, um, when he, when the breakup with Amani happens, um, and we don't really find out why that happens until the last episode, but like for the first one he you can kind of see that he's like a little bit sad and like kind of not over it. But then it sort of gets forgotten after that. And then it becomes this thing of like, um, you know, is he going to the shake because like he's trying to get over this breakup or is he doing it because he's looking for a father figure, which is sort of like what is implied by the time the dad's episode comes around. Um, or even before then, when like he's kind of questioning his parents about, you know, how halal they are, like why they don't pray at the dinner table or like whether the meat that they're eating is like, you know, uh, properly halal and stuff like that. Like it feels like those messages are kind of messed up so that by the time we do find out about the breakup and the fact that he's not over it and everything, like it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't really feel that impactful. It feels just like, oh, for fuck's sake, like why? Yeah, you know? yeah, that's a big problem I have with a lot of these millennial shows is the ADD is in that um, it just can't really hold things very long. And I totally feel you on that. Like, but something else that it does, and the show Insecure is like, I think it's like the black millennial show. And I would say Girls is probably the big white uh, millennial show that was happening uh, 10 years ago. But this kind of thing where they just kind of bring things up and then drop them for three or four episodes or a whole season, you just kind of forget about them. And then suddenly, boom, here's a wrap up of that. Or, or here's, a, here's a return to it, uh, just in case you thought we forgot. And it's like, huh? You know, and um, I felt like that way with the with the uh, cousin, like, I was like, okay, the first episode of season two, they're going to be working through his his messed up feelings with the cousin. And I thought it was going to be like one of those almost in media res things where you, uh, I don't, this is a horrible show, but uh, I'll use it as an example. But uh, have you ever seen the show Arrow? But the, the show Arrow um, on CW would have this thing where the guy's gone from the island for five years. He's, he's on an island for five years. And then 
the show mixes the present day of him coming back from the island with flashbacks of what happened while he was on the island. And I thought, oh, the season's going to be him with the shake, mm. getting over the cousin, and we're going to keep flashing back to Egypt. And then by the end of the season or midway through the season or whenever, it's going to catch up with where he was in the beginning of the, the season. And instead, she mentioned like once, you know, at some point, forgotten, and then all of a sudden brought back at the second to last or last episode all at once, you know, and they just kind of, actually not the very last episode, they just kind of, they, they do that in the second to last episode, in the, in the last episode where they showed a hotel room and how it all kind of went down. And I'm like, this could have had room to breathe. You could have yeah. spread this out through the season. And it yeah. felt, it felt really rushed. And then the payoff was really bad as well. So when yes. like the, when they're having the argument in the hotel, um, Amani kind of says that like, you know, you only want to be with me because you have nothing else like back home and like, you know, and that's like a really good point because that's kind of true, right? Yeah. And it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, you're like, you know, you're, you know, this change that's happening is like largely dependent on the labor of other people and like your kind of um, dependence on other people. And it's not coming from you. You like, you have not changed, which again is like one of the fundamental things about the show, which makes it interesting without, I feel like the writers under, or like at least, you know, them understanding that that's the interesting component. And then when Amani comes back and says, yeah, maybe I kind of like was a little bit too hot headed. Um, that could have been like a good place to explore, but then it suddenly just like rushes to like the kiss and then like them having sex in the car, like implicitly. And then it just kind of goes straight to the wedding. Right. It, it, so it, yeah. it almost feels as if it almost feels as if the last episode could have, should have been done in like two or three. Or like maybe at least two episodes. Yep, yep. At, at least two. And something else too that I think is a problem with the show is that because it, I think, makes Muslim women so two-dimensional in general. But first off, it makes everyone who's not Rami pretty two-dimensional. But then uh, it makes Muslim women, to me, especially um, kind of um, two-dimensional. I think it does to uh, to white women too. I think I think if actually white women are actually one-dimensional. Like it's just, they're just... Um, temptation to masturbate or or break the rules you know so i i mean everyone is kind of not three-dimensional outside of rami i mean rami's arguably uh barely three-dimensional himself but with amani in general i think there's a good case to be made that she's kind of a scumbag herself and that would be interesting to um mm. you know like we're so kind of stuck into that um he's a scumbag that I, I didn't think this way until I hit season 10. Like, I was kind of sympathetic to the Imani character for what we met of her first season. And I was beating up on Rami. But by the time we get to, season, to, to episode 10 of season 2, I was kind of like, okay, she's kind of problematic in her own way. Because even her calling out uh, Rami, right, for uh, what a fuckboy he was being, which is totally right. I was kind of thinking... She's totally right, but at the same time, she should kind of understand why he might not be in a rush to tell the family that uh, he's having sex with his first cousin. Like, like he's a fuckboy, but it's not the most crazy um, thing to yeah. be ten tentative about, you know? And and I, I hate sympathizing with Rami in any, any way, you know, because I, I don't really like the character. But I do think that would be an interesting pushback to have, too. Like, you know, like, yeah, you're right about uh, that I'm a fuckboy and that I don't have anything going home, going on, and I'm just trying to milk this. But at the same time, how do we do it? Like, what do you think the bad thing's going to happen? What do you think of the good things? How was they viewed in Egypt? How was, like, I didn't, I wanted to know how crazy a thing that was to do in Egyptian society, you know? 
Um, if why she was, I, I want to know why she was so confident just telling the family, "Hey, we're gonna get married. I'm gonna move there." You know, like like just just let me know the extent to which that's normal, the extent to which it's a crazy thing. You know, but it doesn't really say that, so I'm not sure how how delusional she's being or if she's being unfair to Rami. But then by the end of the episode, I get the feeling based on how messed up the her brother felt about being attracted to Dina, then it kind of made me think, okay, wait a minute. So this is very frowned upon in Egypt too. So now I'm kind of looking at her decision of being so comfortable with it kind of weird earlier in the episode, you know? So I'm like, okay, that's kind of a conflicting message. But then, okay, she comes back and um, basically this comes back because she thinks that she was too rash. And she, she comes back just to basically wreck his um, and tempt him. Then blame him again like she has no agency in the matter for making him make her making her do bad things and i was thinking she's kind of like a fuck girl herself like she's not taking accountability or responsibility for anything like she she flew from overseas to um like first she got with someone else just to get rami out of her mind which is kind of a rami thing to do you know like just do somebody to kind of get over somebody then dump him because uh it wasn't working then the night before the guy's wedding that she's trying to get over who's her cousin just fly over there and tempt him and derail the whole thing and she kind of almost leans into the kiss first then blame him for making her do bad things and not explore it at all you know she's just it, it was i don't know i don't know well, i was gonna you ask you to that? explain because i was like wait why um no it's good to hear this perspective uh yeah i think the women in arami are like one-dimensional which was a big complaint season one and i think that's why season two there are there they try to add but um yeah i don't know it was interesting that that her brother had very different thoughts on cousin marriage because i was like oh maybe this is an egyptian family where it's fine um because it could be fine right like i have family members who are cousins not in my generation but the generation before and the generation before that who are married um but uh, yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but because I I had a lot of sympathy for her because of how, I guess, um, she thought it was something serious is like the storyline of the hotel room where like she thought that they were going to like probably have a kids of Kitab or get married to and that they should tell their parents. And he was kind of like, no, this is kind of just like fun. Like I'm thinking through things. And then she frames it as like our grandfather died and I was vulnerable. But then... You see, I'm totally, I'm totally with you on that. I was so sympathetic to her. And then they just derailed that at the end when she starts acting like a fuckboy. And then I'm like, wait, so now I don't know how to feel about her after that. Yeah, I guess, I guess what does throw like, I guess, a wrench in it is that he decides, um, he decides like pretty fast uh, after he knows it's not going to work out with Zainab, which Zainab's story is never really developed either. Uh, we just know that she has like a mom who's dead and her dad's a sheikh. That's like literally what we get out of it, right? That's like literally what I remember getting out of Zainab and that she thinks that her dad is like too cautious with certain things. But besides that, um, yeah, he goes from that and that not working out to going to Amani and saying, hey can we work out it's maktub which is like written right but um yeah i guess her response to that you don't think that was a fair response um wait wait you're talking about well this is i felt actually you know what i spoke enough about this i'll let um uh hussein give his give his take this is like so interesting to hear this perspective because you're changing my perspective on this what was what was the question or like what what was the uh uh, 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 um, he was asking if her response to wanting to um, get back, um, her response to him wanting to give her a second shot um, was 
was um, reasonable. And, and and my take is, I don't think it's reasonable to not want to get with him, but I thought the lack of agency she gave herself by saying that he makes her do things that feels bad about herself. I I, I felt that was kind of Rami-ish in and of it, itself for her to cross the ocean and insert herself at the most um, inconvenient time and like tempt him and then take away the agency. Whereas before her hotel speech, I think had me really on her side. Uh, the hotel speech and then I mean it, fe- it felt kind of underdeveloped and this is why I sort of felt that like this would have been great as two episodes rather than like a flashback of like five minutes or something like that um, because I feel like it could have played out in lots of different ways my understanding or my take of it was mostly that like you have to like so in the money and you and Rami as well you have two characters that are basically looking to sort of escape and they're both like they have the same kinds of problems um but it's kind of, it's almost like reflected back at each other, but also there are like different, um, they have like different circumstances, but the kind of main thing is like trying to escape. So I feel like with Imani, for example, like when they're talking about when they're in the hotel and they're talking about like how they would break it to the family about the, uh, about the um, engagement or like we all that their relationship that would have to be an engagement, you know, considering that it's like a Muslim family and stuff. One of the things that she talks about is like moving to New York. And I think she mentions this a couple of times in uh, season one, basically this idea that like she just feels uncomfortable in Egypt, um, feels like very restricted in Egypt and would like rather want to move to America. And she says this at a time when like Rami is feeling very disillusioned with like the American Muslim experience that he's having. Um, and that's one of the reasons why he feels like so enchanted by like the Sufi, uh, the Sufi, uh, the processions of the Sufi mosque or, um, even speaking to the Sheikh, right. And the Sheikh's kind of, uh, projection of what Islam is or what it should be. Like, that's why it's so endearing to him. So I feel like maybe there is something that he's thinking about as to like, you know, you know, Amani wants this one thing, but like, this is one thing that I've been trying to kind of reject or trying to kind of, or I feel is like the source of all my problems. Um, but again, that was like one of those things where uh, it was very much like, huh, that would have been a very interesting thing to talk about. But like, it's sort of like left to, it's sort of like left to like the viewer as to whether they think actually that might be the case, which I feel like is something, it, it, it speaks to a problem of like modern TV that you mentioned, which is that instead of like telling you what you should think or what the characters are thinking and leaving everything to like this kind of degree of ambiguity, it sort of doesn't answer any of the questions and therefore you're sort of left completely unsatisfied. And the only way to kind of talk about it is by going on movie podcasts to talk about it, right? Like I feel like some of the best human drama movies or TV shows or something that takes a question that's out there in the ether, like a question of the generation. Like for example, like something like Kramer versus Kramer talking about this rise in the acceptability of divorce or something like Mary Tyler Moore that talks about can a woman like have it all, you know, and then say, Hey, here's a question out in the ether. Let me try to dramatize it and try to um, form what I think is uh, an answer or at least an interesting analysis of it and then give it back to the people partially digested, if not fully digested. Like, you know, it might be easier to go down now because it's kind of like to me, I think a good analogy is like the mother bird who, pre-digest the worm before she gives it uh, to the to the kids because the kids are at a state where they can uh, fully digest the food. I feel like that's what art based on life should be. It should, if not at least fully digest, at least partially digest it in a way that helps the audience um, maybe digest it a little bit better. And I feel like these boomerang shows or boomerang movies takes a, quest- a generational question that's out in the ether, takes it 
and just wants to make you feel like you're not being gaslighted. He just wants to mirror it back at you like, hey, you know what? You're not wrong. This is a real thing. And here it is in excruciating detail mirrored back at you and then sends it back out into Twitter or think pieces for the people just just to grapple with. And like I didn't digest it at all. And, and that's uh, that's why I think all these shows are are doing now. And maybe so maybe that's the crisis of this generation. Like they feel gaslit. You know, maybe their boomer parents and Gen X people are telling them, why don't you have this? Why aren't you married yet? Why don't you have four kids? I can do it. So maybe they're just too busy not feeling real or validated to get past that point or that where, where that's just enough for them. They can't even get to the deeper questions because they don't even feel like their complaints are even valid right now. Maybe. I mean, again, it's one of those, it's one of those things. I, I, have, I didn't even really think about it in that context until now, which like maybe that's, uh, maybe that's also like another sign of like um, this show kind of leaving out so many questions, which they kind of view as, you know, the kind of artistic merit when it's really just kind of frustrating instead. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like those things are kind of nowadays considered a shorthand to being deep. So it's like, if you mm. just do them, and one thing's interesting, right, is uh, Rami, he had a Daily Show interview with Trevor Noah that I watched right before we did the show. And one of the things that I found very interesting that he said in it, right, was he said he didn't want to do a show that was just like pro-Muslim propaganda to sell Muslims to white people as in, right. uh, as in saying, hey, we deserve to be here. Hey, we're just like you, whatever. But I think without him realizing it, the show was that on a meta level of him to like white elites. Like we deserve to be here because we can ape the same A24. Um, yeah, ambigu- we, can, we can look good using the same type of like bisexual lighting as anyone else. Yeah, exactly. So like almost... Almost in a taste manner, it was trying to sell Muslims to um, white people like, hey, we can do like your type of ambiguity. We can do your bisexual lighting. We can do your kind of Louis uh, type of uh, or, or UK office type of cringe humor or whatever. So I, I feel like he's giving himself a little bit too much credit in a lot of ways when I see his interviews on this stuff. Well, even the American citizenship episode, like anyone who's not trying to cater to like, look, we can be American too. That episode didn't, like, there were openings, right? Well, Dina's storyline, I think, is in that. No, it's not in that episode. That's 100% the mom's episode, right? But um, I don't know, just like the American citizenship test itself, not really questioning it. And instead, Mm. um, it's her learning, like, about pronouns, which, like, I don't know how realistic an Egyptian mother of that age is going to take that up as a concept. And then at the meeting of the in-laws be like, my name is Mesa. I use she, her pronouns. Like, I, I don't know how realistic that is other than signaling to, like, I would say East Coast elites that, like, look, na- this Arab Muslim mom can do the pronoun game. Yeah, that was weird to me. Yeah. That was, like, that was so bizarre to me because it was so unrealistic. Like, I, like, my mom works a retail job, but they've done HR diversity trainings. And, like, she can understand that people use certain pronouns now, but she's never going to, in a setting with my sister's in-laws, be like, I'm Latifa. I use she, her pronouns. Like, it was just so, like, yeah. comical and, like, so unrealistic. But it signals to a certain class of people something, right? I, I, that was frustrating in two ways. First, that she had so much trouble getting it, even for self-preservation, you know. But then when she got it, she was overcommitted and doing it like in all types of weird spaces. Like to me, I feel like if someone said, hey, for your job, this is what you have to do. Most people, whether immigrant or not, are just going to be like, hey, I don't get it. I think it's crazy whatever. But if you say I got to do this to keep a job, then so be it, you know. And then at home, 
I felt like that would have been more realistic to have her like saying, oh, this is crazy or have her forgetting at work, but uh, correcting herself because she's like, oh, I got to do this to keep a job. But it was kind of weird that she couldn't even get it for self-preservation. Like they kind of made her so in a way dumb that mm. it was really kind of bothering me. And I, I feel that way, but even even like white stuff, like my big fat Greek wedding, I am even that's about like white people um, as somebody who's uh, family or immigrants. My big fat Greek wedding, I was getting offended on behalf of Greek people. I was, I was like, I was like, this is just laughing at them. This is telling non-Greek people to laugh at uh, these people. And I feel like she's like a Uncle Tom of Greeks when I saw that movie. You know, it was uh, bugging me, but I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, I think besides Dina, like um, the other main Muslim characters that are women, the mother, the mother's always like painted as kind of um, oblivious and stubborn. But also, like you said, like a lot of immigrant parents like aren't going to let something like pronouns get in between them and their money. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I, it was just so unrealistic and, and it felt so drawn out. Like, OK, the first like car ride, you did this, but then at the bar. But then and then um, there there was like a tension built between, I would say, like LGBTQIA plus communities and then immigrant Muslim women in that scene where the white um, queer man is saying, oh, like, uh, you don't even know about, like, how much violence trans women of color face. Like, okay, so, like, like you're acknowledging that there are, like, women, trans women of color. It was just so, like, there's so many things on, like, left unsaid where, like, the audience has to have a certain background to, like, fill in blanks here. But, yeah. like, also things get dragged out, but then things get rushed as well, right? So the last episode, we all agree, was just, like, too rushed, whereas, like, that episode, that scene was dragged out. It makes no sense. And something mm. about having a white guy who, at the end of the day, is not coded queer or anything. There's, like, like, there's a about him that would make you but even if he was coded as queer like say he was swishy and way more overtly queer he in america has no to me real standing to lecture uh, a muslim woman of color you know about like, like something felt really tone deaf about him lecturing her about privilege and oppression um but, but that could have been an interesting conundrum if she threw it back in his face or they interrogated that but he's just there and he's crowding her space and being oblivious to the fact that he is a man and white and he's being physically imposing on her and i was like this dude is totally in the wrong right now even if she did mess up her pronouns he should not be rolling up on her like this calling her a bitch being physically aggressive with her and that mm. I'm, maybe because I saw my mom in that scene like like if I saw some like privileged white douchebag crowding my mom over being not getting that stuff I would be really uh, pissed so maybe I was projecting too much uh, into that because I'd be like you entitled fuck what are you doing you're not yeah I think I think I may have projected into that too but I <laughs> I didn't like I wasn't a fan I was I was just like not a fan of like how they used that storyline at all because I it was just unrealistic like what immigrant mother is gonna let that get between her and her money and her and her citizenship and also like yeah she was so fearful of the American government. Why would she be so like indignant in these situations? Um, I don't know. It was it was just bizarre to me. And there was no background really on like why she was getting her citizenship so much later than her like her children were born in America, but her husband, like usually couples. It was just like a little bit disjointed if you know anything about the immigration system with the amount of time she's been in America as well. Like it just to me, I, I don't know if my logic brain was going too hard for a fictional show. But, but it's kind of hard because the show is trying so hard to be grown up and and deep that I feel like saying it's fictional shouldn't be a get out of free get out of jail free card for like I feel like a lot of shows kind of do that like you know they try to say oh this is not your mom's 
uh, type of show. It's not your daddy's type of show. But then when you try to analyze it on um, a higher level, then people say, oh, it's just a show. Like, like, what are you doing? Like, I feel like I feel like it's fair for you to put your logic brain on because it's trying to be deep. You know, I feel I feel like with that particular episode, but I feel like so two points. One is that this was like another good example of how like Ram, like Rami didn't really kind of do any justice to his female, like his women characters. And I feel like it was somehow even worse in this, uh, in, uh, in this season, because you're, because I think Nashua is right. in basically saying, but like the mother is sort of presented as being like a buffoon and someone who's like oafish and someone who, um, is really there for like comedic fodder than anyone else. Right. So like the only times we ever, we ever see the mother is when, um, you know, a, like she's either like the butt of a joke or is someone who's just like haplessly, haplessly like unaware of American customs. And then at the same time, I think with that particular episode, it's sort of, I, I, I feel like to a degree it, it tries to solve a problem, but it somehow makes this problem worse, which was that for a lot of like these types of shows like Rami, um, one of the criticisms that like Rami Youssef has like said on like TV and in interviews. And even when I interviewed him for Mel magazine, um, you know, for him, it was like, we want to make a different type of Muslim show. We want to make it like, you know, this isn't one where like Muslims have to like pander to like American dreams or like, you know, the, um, the supposed ideals of America that like don't really exist. Like this is someone where, you know, Muslim characters are like complicated and difficult and they have like, um, you know, they have nuance and stuff like that, but, it, but none of that is really afforded to the mother. Right. Yeah. And even at the end, it's very much like she is used as kind of like a way of promoting a type of immigrant who like still believes in the dream despite the faults of the country. Um, so she, even like she's just being used to kind of project something that the show is trying to like distance itself from, right? But it doesn't really solve Yeah, that's a good way to capture it. Yeah, that's a great point. He actually did the exact thing he said that uh, didn't want to do. Yeah, in, in that episode, you know something else too? What you just said about when he tries to write a lot of these things that address these things, he he tries to fix these problems. He ends up making them worse. That's kind of what the character of Rami does too. It's kind right. of yeah. it's kind of funny that what what <laughs> the character of Rami is doing, uh, he's doing himself as a writer. And one thing I'll say about him, even though I have a lot of problems with the show, and you guys may disagree, and if so, uh, I'd love to hear it. I don't think he's like a hack or untalented or stupid. No. You know, I think he's just not mature enough. Like, like maybe he hasn't really thought through these. Like, I feel like he's a really good recipe that you just took out the oven 10 minutes too early, you know? Yeah, he, he, I would agree with that. He's, uh, he's a really, so he did like an HBO stand-up show um after the between the first and second seasons and it was a really good stand-up show he's a very good stand-up comedian he was on a podcast called um yeah but still um which is a, like a quite a popular comedy like a show which features a lot of stand-ups and he was great on that as well um and funnily enough he was great on like stuff where he wasn't talking about rami the tv show or about like muslims or muslim culture he was great just as him someone who was just like talking about like um weird like california culture and like you know very uh, like you know the differences between fast food chains and like just these general things that like you would ask any like normal person in their late 20s early 30s etc um and i think you're completely right in kind of saying that like this show is one which almost feels lost because like all the great things about him being a comedian and all the great things about him as like a character and as a person 
sort of get lost in that show because they're too busy trying to like say stuff without really saying stuff. Yeah. And, and, and when I saw, when I was watching the show, like I kept seeing like, there's a smart guy here. There's an insightful guy here. There's a guy who could do a great show. I mean, even in this show, there's a great show hidden in it, but uh, he just wasn't ready. They, I think they threw him in the deep end um, too quick. But at the same time, it's successful. And I think it's almost even worse because now it's going to validate a, a lot of his worst tendencies. Now he's really not going to have a reason to uh, fix these things because he's getting lauded uh, for them. But like, unlike some other shows that I don't like, I don't think he's lacking in talent or ability or skill or uh, nuance and you put up a great point by the way that was a great job burying the lead like just mentioning that you interviewed him because like I had no idea that you interviewed him that's I, what, that's again it was like one of those things that I completely forgot <laughs> happened until I remember that oh shit it did happen <laughs> and it is like on the internet just in case that like his public his publicists get really mad that I'm now like shit talking no but you know what I think we're being I think we're being good I, I think he's talented too I think it's um, he's only 29 like he's only 29 mm. he's I think he also he is I would say besides Aziz Ansari but he's like the only Muslim in North America who's gotten a show commissioned in a while that's not like yeah. a, a news show it's like actually a written out show um and he named after himself which mindy kaling talked about the pressure of that too mm. so i think that's part of the issue right and he acted as the main which is like the mindy kaling conundrum where she called I, it I, the I, mindy project and then can i ask you guys a question because i don't know the answer myself which season had more muslim people on staff from from the outside looking in i feel like it's probably season two because i felt like it wasn't as careless with muslim stuff season two even though it wasn't great whereas i feel like season one seemed to have more white people uh on staff i was wondering if you guys knew the answer i think it was season two and i think it was partly in response to like criticism that there weren't actually a lot of muslims in the writer's room for season one yeah and i could see that i could i could feel in the material that like, sometimes i feel like that's a superficial complaint but 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 I think there was a difference in the material that helped uh, by having more more Muslim people in the in the in the and I think it's probably kind of what he needs probably to um grow better, I think, is to have more Muslim people looking over his shoulder and, and, and mentoring him, you know? Um because mm. then that would kind of because I felt like there were a lot of things that a white person will sign off on. No, that's like really interesting to me. I yeah, you're right. There are a lot of things. Like what's one thing that you think a white person would sign off on? I feel like, okay, here's, here's my problem. I was so into examining and reviewing the season two episodes before doing this that I've kind of pushed a lot of the season one details out of my mind. So let me take a quick look at, I have a page up, let me take a quick look at the list because I kind of, um, okay, no, for example, I, uh, for example, the coming of age, the, the episode Strawberries with the September 11th and all this stuff, I could see a lot of white people who are into like cringe humor and I've worked on like cringe humor shows and whatever signing off on a lot of that stuff without thinking you know for example salvation the end of the episode is a white woman telling him like you know you'll be able to have women like me in the future like there's a lot of stuff in that's very unexamined that i think was this kind of like for example it's like having sex with white women is the big epiphany of and, and the wet dream and i would i felt like mm. a kind of a few more muslim people in the room would have kind of been like dude it's kind of icky you know and and kind of white worshiping yeah to put and but i feel like white people like that kind of stuff because i feel like it kind of flatters them i feel like uh white people like stuff flatters them like especially stories like stories where non-white people 
struggling uh, with their sexual addiction to white people. White people love that stuff. I think they love it because at the end of the day, it's very flattering to them. Like, you know, someone watches so bad, they wrote a whole play or series or episode about how hard we are to quit. Like, we're sexual cocaine. Like, he had other episodes about, like, his struggle with white women. And if you notice, like, the second season, I don't think there's really, white women aren't really a big topic in it. I always assume that with the second season, it was more because, like, the thing that, the kind of, one of the things of growth that he carried on from season one was the idea that he wanted to kind of like get married within like a Muslim context um, or he wanted to get married to like a Muslim woman so therefore like all the kind of but then then again like he was also watching porn but we weren't really sure what porn he was watching Yeah. so maybe I mean I felt like one of the things that was sort of being teased but again one of those things that was never really explored was like sex addiction um, or like addiction to masturbation and stuff like that which I it, it's kind of spoken about but it's spoken about with the shake in these very kind of reductive terms right yeah um and I think this is also taps into one of the issues that I have with like a season two of Rami which sorts of focuses more on Islam which is that like it's still this very reductive view of Islam it's still one that is very kind of prescriptive and one that mm. is very like almost to a degree like orientalized as well um, that's a great point yeah so it's, so, it's, so it's made to kind of like feel and seem exotic and like the way that um Vishek carries himself uh is one which kind of presents this idea of like mysterious exoticism and stuff like that. Yeah, right? yeah. Did you uh, did you get that? Which feeling? I think also like yeah, which also placates like white people, but also like the sad boy film guys who like you know see him as kind of this kind of guiding light. Well, did you get the feeling that it replicated that trope of like? the magical black person who helps the main white character, but this time it's an Arab character. Yeah, That's the exact yeah. well, like, energy I got from the Sheikh character. And I think they incorporated more black characters because of the feedback and lashback from season one, where the treatment of black people was like so bad um, mm-hmm. in the show and on the film set and the crew, which was exposed. Oh, I didn't know that. That's oh, interesting. Yeah. So there were black writers on the show or like, I guess consultants. Anyways, it wasn't a good time for them. Um, And that kind of surfaced, I would say, on Muslim Twitter and Muslim creative Twitter. And then now you suddenly have a black love interest. You have this like black spiritual guidance person. And to me, the energy reminded me of like when white people have that like black spiritual guide. Like I I never felt Mm -hmm. it like I didn't feel like it was an authentic. I don't know if it's the writing or it's just because I knew that happened. So so they were kind of overcompensating, you think? I don't know. Like, I don't want to say that, but like something was weird about it. I I do agree with um, Hussein about the Orientalism, like that, like picking Sufism was a choice. And then, and then the, I don't know. I, there was something, there was a lot of Orientalism throughout it in a different way. Like even what was, I was gonna say what was really fucked up was like at the last episode of season two, when the gets like really mad at um, Rami, because again, like Rami is like, um, you know, really kind of been the worst person on earth um, in terms of like when he like cheat, well, when he like sleeps with uh, money, like the, the night before mm-hmm. he gets married to Zayna, but then says all this stuff after they finished having sex. Um, about like having a second wife and everything. Um, but the thing that I found most fucked up about that scene was like when Vishek is basically saying that like um, he really wants to be like, he really wants to hurt Rami, like physically hurt him. The whole like violent, black, angry black. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want to go um, back to like what I used to be or something. And yeah, I was like, yeah. right. this thing again. And then the allusion to like, were you in prison? Did you convert in prison? 
Yeah. Well, I think that's what I think again. That's what they imply. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, yeah, like, oh, it's it's not even implied. Uh, at one point, the uncle straight up asks him, and he never confirms or. Oh, I didn't. He even doesn't know. confirm or okay. deny or it. Yeah, Uncle Nassim asks, and it's just messed up. It's like. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just had a lot of messed up racism from Uncle Nassim. Yeah. And then they didn't even tackle it because at the end, Uncle Nassim says, "You're all right," and it's supposed to be um okay. And I'm at that point. At that point, why would I care if you think I'm all right if you let off with all that stuff? But it was kind of meant to kind of mm. show like oh they both bust each other's chops so now that makes it okay yeah you know uh it was very, Again, it was very it's, archie it's, bunker it, archie bunker used to do that where archie bunker was a racist but because george jefferson or or george jefferson's brother busted his chops back it was okay that he instigated the racism or when know? they have um, again i think it's one of those sorry i was gonna say this it's like one of those things that are like um you know right like this season like rami is trying to solve a problem um but somehow ends up making course, it worse yeah um in doing yeah so. well i think like even when zainab's friend is like i don't like Arabs is that the is that supposed to be equivalently like like mm. is that supposed to be oh now it's all balanced out I didn't know it something's just linger yeah yeah uh, another thing I kind of realized there was a third example but I'm not able to think of it offhand maybe you guys will oh uh, when his cousin in season one Shadi like says the n-word yeah and they never unpack it they never discuss why it's bad where like Rami will always challenge sexism but never anti-blackness have you noticed that so like uh, if they're like can you pray in a separate room or like somebody says something to a woman in a scene he'll challenge it if it's not his mom or his sister but if it's anti-blackness like um they said something that was really anti-black a few times and rami just like lets it slide yeah mm. yeah but i mean he did he did check his cousin on the n-word but then quickly backed off of it and he actually apologizes but um th- there's a lot of subtle stuff that i noticed and i can't even remember i can't remember the other examples but each one i remembered was that dina's friends one just says they can just have sex and then the black girl's like you know i've done it you know i, I broke down and i've been having sex but then she goes to the other Arab friend and goes, have you been doing this too? Oh, hell no. Like, you know, oh, it's okay for her to do the black, the black Muslim, but uh, I, the other Arab Muslim wouldn't do it. And I thought, okay, that's kind of weird because up until that point, I think she was the first black character we had seen. Definitely the first black Muslim. And I'm like, broke down and had sex uh, first. And I think it wouldn't have even been so bad if the episode ended with Dina having sex too. But it seemed like Dina at the end, at the end pulls back and finds her, well, I, I don't know if it's that she finds her Muslim values or the guy was just so obnoxiously racist um, that she stopped. But, you know, at the end of the day, when the episode's done, the two Arab Muslims that we saw that episode still ended as uh, virgins, while the black girl was just basically there to say... um, yeah, I've had sex. It wasn't a big deal. I thought that was just kind of, at the very least, careless. I'm not saying that it was a consciously constructed racist thing, but mm. it kind of shows how thoughtlessly, or maybe unconsciously uh, racist he was being by, because I don't know how you could think this is the first black person I'm putting, and this is how I'm going to put them put them in there. And then that's all she basically does. Uh, I think she comes back again second season, but I, but I forget what she does. Uh, also, also, here's one thing I thought I found really weird. I thought Dina took way too long to get uncomfortable with 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 the white guy who was being racist and orientalizing her, but then she says something that I thought was very weird, not to unpack, and it was treated so casual. Uh, wait, but she, mm. she says, um, "Can you just can you just stop treating me like a Muslim girl? Can you treat me like a normal girl?" I'm like, "What does normal mean? Like, like treat me like a white girl?" Yeah, it, it, I remember. Yeah. She, used the word, okay, yeah, she used the word normal, and I'm like, um, "What does she equate white with being normal?" I thought maybe it could have been a self aware thing that he put in there but because he as usual doesn't unpack anything um you have no idea if, if the narrative uh is okay with it and put it in there obliviously or if it meant to make you think about it and it's been pointed out by um shamara ibrahim who like writes way more eloquently than i do about this that that whole episode is weird like you said it's too extended till like when she gets uncomfortable but um 
when he asks her, he's like, oh, what position? She's like, any position. And it's like to show that she's just like that ignorant, uneducated on sex. But that makes no sense to be like in your 20s growing up in North America. And she's like not from like a strict, strict Muslim family, quote unquote, to like just not have any understanding at all. Like it made it, it just was like kind of how like the mom is always a buffoon or always like yeah. oafish. So Dina's also like so oafish to like sex. Whereas then you see in episode one of season one, another Muslim girl who's like Dina, she doesn't wear the scarf her like family seems probably chill enough for her to go on a supervised date um she knows what she's doing like like muslim women have sexual autonomy but like for some reason through two seasons of rami only amani has that there's only one person who has that and, 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 so, and something with and something else with uh, Dina's character is the way that she she seems more secular than Rami, even though she breaks the rules less. She just seems to buy into the stuff uh, less than Rami. I shouldn't say the stuff that I mean, she buys into religion uh, less than uh, Rami. She does something right. This is weird to me. She's very kind of anal and researched on everything she's applying to law school she's got into law school she's into her studies she uh, knows everything about being woke and what the rules are i feel like she's type a enough that she was going to have sex even if by some miracle she was um clueless and sheltered enough you know like i think what, what nash was saying is right that uh it was ridiculous for her to be that clueless but if she knew that night she was going to try to uh and her virginity, I would imagine her being on the internet researching uh, everything meticulously uh, and trying to figure out what to do before she got there. It just didn't seem that her just fly blind. Well, it's just not realistic, but it's what's weird to me is the, so that's like the front of the bookend, right? Where you have Dina and there's this Orientalist sexual experience, which is like very common and normal when you talk to like Muslim women, especially growing up after 9-11 and like the occupation of Iraq and Afghanistan. They don't really unpack it, unpack it. I guess it's just like, oh, this guy is like this, but they could have easily linked that to like the type of porn that's been produced, right? Because then they have Mia Khalifa pop up in season two, who's like Islamophobic, like very into the idea, like all these things where I'm like, I'm not going to judge if pop culture is meant to be like social justice or not social justice Like I, I have my own opinions, but like whatever, people culturally produce whatever they want. But then you see all these like Muslims lauding it. And I'm like, do you know like Mia Khalifa's views on Muslims? Like why would you yeah. platform her? And also she, like there was so much potential if you were going to use her to explain Dina's experience and like the type of porn Mia Khalifa's engaged in. And then the pr- proliferation mm. of that type of porn and why. And the comment that like, oh, like Muslim men mostly watch that. Like I've like looked at some demographic breakdowns. Some of them do, but a lot of white men watch that porn. Yeah, yeah. I don't buy that. I thought that was a, I thought that was a very unfair cheap shot toward um I Muslim also men. think that that data, I think also that data comes from like Pornhub, right? And like Pornhub data, number one is not good data. Like, and number two is all, all like almost always used as like a way of basically like getting headlines and like getting uh shock jocks uh yeah to like reprint stuff so yeah i mean i don't i don't know about like mia khalifa's like personal oh she's horrible about, like, she doesn't regret the porn she's done she said that it hasn't impacted the perception of muslim women by like men in the west oh, right. she was very okay. trolly oh, about oh. it like, like she got off on yeah. that it made muslim people mad and she would kind of like, activate, i'm banned from the middle east tr- yeah you said yeah, a lot of things about it yeah she, she thinks it's cool that it made them mad what I was going to say about Dina, um, and this time I have got the character, right? <laughs> I feel like you were right in the sense that the, um, you know, the way that the whole like first sexual experience being written was like incredibly unrealistic. But I don't necessarily think that like, I think if they, what they were trying to show or like maybe what they were trying to show, like it's because this is in like relation to the family. And I don't think like Rami in the cat, in the TV show, like his family are really religious, right? I feel like they're kind of culturally Muslim, but like they're 
there are kind of certain indicators that like maybe their prayers aren't like necessarily consistent and like maybe they kind of like are very flexible in terms of their religious outlook but like culturally speaking like they have um they have like traditions and worldviews and um patriarchal worldviews that like are sort of kind of consistent so i think with like dina stuff that like her engagement isn't necessarily with religion because again with like with rami his interest in religion really comes from this place of feeling lost and feeling like he's sort of alienated from his culture and alienated from like the beliefs of his family and his expectations of his family so he turns to islam and he turns to his friends who seem to be a lot more practicing as like a way of um answering those questions whereas with dina i feel like at least the way that her character is presented is not one that necessarily wrestles with questions of religion but wrestles with um, questions of how can she be like free from the sort of expectations and unspoken of demands placed by her parents but again this is also something that isn't really like explored that much like even when um even when dina kind of shouts at her parents but like rami is sort of allowed to go out whenever she whatever he wants but like she's not allowed to this is a very different thing from like her just not being allowed to do stuff right so it doesn't even feel like the type of um argument that she has with her parents is necessarily like warranted to that degree so i was kind of confused about like what's the rela- what's her relationship with her parents and like her mother like in, and her mother in particular because it doesn't feel like yeah you know it, it, the it, the way that she acts especially towards her mother it doesn't feel as if like that's necessarily reciprocated by cultural demands if that makes sense yeah no it does it does make sense. They had a good scene at the end of that uh, pronouns episode in the car. Mm. I was like, I wish you guys had uh, more of this. And you said something uh, who's saying that I didn't even think about um, when I was talking about how this show is so informed by Twitter and um and think pieces and social media, it didn't even occur to me that I, I forgot he's a stand-up comedian and stand-up comedy is very much the same way. You know, like um, stand-up comedy is very much like I'm going to do a bit. We're going to do five minutes on this topic. Then I'm going to segue to this topic. You know, whereas back in the day, stand-up, if you ever listen to old stand-up, like 60s stand-up and, and older, they would take a story. I mean, even going to the 70s, like Richard Pryor would do it. You could take a story in a bit and stretch into 20 minutes. 30 minutes and it would just be one long story and they didn't even necessarily have to have a gag a minute like you know um and i think that's why someone like woody allen and people like that even though they were stand-ups when they write movies they were very easy to go into long form or drama because they would introduce characters tell a long story and occasionally through the story you pepper a joke or a punchline just to remind people hey this is a comedy you know it's not just uh a mm-hmm. storytelling rest stand-up now is not like that people have detention span for a stand-up is like five minutes on masturbation then five minutes on isn't it crazy women do this and men do that then five minutes on on that if that and um i think maybe that informed how he was writing the season too it was like it was it was just a long set each season was like a set and it was which is not really doesn't really work for a season-long drama but it's kind of making me reevaluate like why louis was the way it was that that show because you know when you do observational humor you just spend a lot of time observing different things for like five minutes at a time and i think maybe that's why these observational comics are producing shows like this it's like when you when you brought up his stand-up and stuff it made me think back to the show and i'm like oh that makes a lot of sense and i was not even thinking about that this whole time yeah no that's a good point i never really thought about that before actually that's a good point yeah here's the thing else that i thought too um a lot of people talk about how narcissistic uh rami is and everything but by mm. the end of the season and no one really thinks this really from what i can see and I, I searched 
um, uh, Rami with with the word. But uh, but in this season, I thought he might be like an actual bona fide sociopath that just doesn't kill people. Like his right, yeah. His em- I have a lot of thoughts on that. His emotional yeah. re- his emotional reactions to stuff were very weird. Like like a bona fide right. sociopath. Like he's like Tom Ripley, but doesn't kill people. Like it was very very <laughs> disturbing to me. Like and I started thinking yeah. like how dark is he going with this? As in, is Rami like an undiagnosed uh, clinical sociopath? Like when, because uh, if you ever know anything about uh, sociopaths or maybe because I just read a lot about sociopaths, like one of the things is that their reactions aren't calibrated correctly or they don't feel like the right emotion. So like when the shake is confronting him and he's a little bit frantic, but he doesn't have the right level of mortification. He's like, well, let's just pray. Let's just do this. Um, Hey, hey, shake. And it's, and it's like the desperate pleading of a sociopath who's trying not to be um, discovered and rushed back to normalcy. There's something that sociopaths do. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether like sociopath is necessarily, I'm not, I, 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 I don't have enough like knowledge or like um, abilities to kind of make that type of statement. But one thing that I feel like people that should bearing in mind and like the thing that really kind of spoke to me is the, uh, as the season ended. And I think arguably like the last episode is probably the best and the strongest of that season because it does just really like take you on a very chaotic ride is that what it also, what that scene between the Sheikh and Rami shows is how like his kind of love for Zainab or his care for Zainab was completely disingenuous, but it really came from this place of him actually like wanting the Sheikh's attention much more than anything else. Um, and how like even kind of, I feel like even him sort of wanting to marry Zainab, because like even when the Sheikh kind of talks about Zainab um, showing an interest in him and thus giving him permission to kind of like uh, have kind of convers- private conversations with her, um, he's taken by surprise by that. And I don't think that he really sees Zainab in like any sort of way that's necessarily like attractive or sexual or even kind of romantic until that moment when the opportunity is presented to him. So like in that final scene, what we actually see is Rami trying to kind of like maintain his relationship with the Sheikh, which is why he barely asks about Zainab. Like he barely asks about her other than like, you know, um, kind of just accepting that like she's gone and like that conversation he had could have been a little bit better, but he's much more kind of like wants to have this relationship and have this kind of pseudo father in the Sheikh to the point where I feel like he's not really thinking about, so I don't necessarily think it's like sociopath stuff, but it's much more, this isn't how you act when like the person that you've kind of committed to spend your life with has left you and like in the middle of the night because you've done something so unforgivable and so like so much of a betrayal right what i should call it is malignant narcissism that's actually a better thing to call it because malignant narcissism is a combination of sociopath sociopathy and narcissism so it's it's, can i just yeah can i just like make another quick point because i just remembered it now which was that in that conversation in that kind of like thing he speaks about with the shake when he's trying to kind of like keep his bond with with him is the idea that like, oh, you know, we can just pray it out and we can work on it together and we can work on like, you know, we can work on my understanding of religion better and everything. And like, and the Sheikh makes this good point, which is like, you know, do you think that the world exists just so that you can perfect yourself? Yeah, totally. And I think that's like, and I feel like that's such a good line, which really kind of taps into really what kind of the character of Rami is, which is someone who is basically like trying to do this whole self-improvement thing by like reflecting all the kind of, reflecting all his problems and blaming all his problems on the outside world and people around it um so, so something, something yeah. else about narcissism is that they narcissists think everyone else is as interested 
in them as, yes, as, yeah. as they are. So his idea to address all of the Sheikh and, and Zainab's problems is to offer mm-hmm. ways he can improve himself, which is kind of like what you were saying. But so he didn't say, I can do restitution to you and Zainab this way, or I could make you and Zainab whole this way. It's all about, well, you can still save me. That's my reward to you is um, improving, improving me. Like, like that's yeah. what their problem is, is that not that harm was done to them, but that, um, you know, he let them down by not being the best version, um, of himself. But yeah, I mean, did you guys feel like his responses were a lot more emotionally muted or not as extreme to the level of fuck up? Um, as a normal person, do you think that was the right level of um, mortification? Because that was to me what made him really seem sociopathic to me, and that's like the lack of proper remorse or the emotional emotional calibration of his. And maybe you guys felt differently. I don't know. Throughout his like emotional intelligence is not, I would say, average, <laughs> given how much he reflects. Uh, yeah, I thought that it was weird. The uh, Hussein pointed it out so aptly that he barely asks about Zainab in the scene, and I don't know if that's like an yeah, intentional thing or whoever like wrote that scene didn't think about asking about her because um, that's literally somebody that you just married less than 24 hours ago. Uh, you, he didn't even ask like where she was, I think. Like he's just like, oh, she's gone. I don't even think he was like, where is she? Um, or I don't know if that came up, but it was just, it didn't seem normal. But also um, him like throughout the entire scene, like not even dropping the white sheet around him. Like I think it was supposed to, I think it's supposed to make a nod to like, um, he looked like the Ben Affleck meme where Ben Affleck's at the beach with the towel looking like kind of sloppy. But I think it's supposed to allude to like Hedge and like, I, I think that's what it was supposed to allude to. I was like reading all these art people try to analyze it. And like, I thought it was that. And I guess they thought it was that, but that's like the A24 type of thing, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, so he's supposed to still be like purging um but his emotions don't reflect what i think they're trying to do even like the the sheikh going back and doing wudu right again and he's like saying i'm trying to i'm trying to stay calm or something he says or mediate meditate or something he said he said yeah he yeah, I, yeah he's, he's trying to like he's trying to like calm yeah, his so, nerves, which is kind yeah, of like his, his intention and he's and he's just like doing that like those visuals are supposed to be reflecting something and i felt like martial ali was like channeling it but i didn't feel like rami was like i i don't know if that's like an acting thing my other theory is that maybe rami's acting was so poor that one or two things is happening there there was this actress um kim novak back in the day that was this alfred hitchcock movie where i forget what it's called i think it might be uh, i forget what it's called but she's an alfred hitchcock movie where she's lying the whole time and there's this huge debate about whether she's a really bad actress or a really good actress because they were saying because right, yeah. the first they're saying oh let's say she's a really bad actress it goes no she's really good she's just playing a really bad liar and I felt that way with, with Rami I'm like is a sociopathy that I'm picking up because he's so good at portraying somebody who's miscalibrated to things or mm. is it that his acting is so bad that he's supposed to be more frantic more mortified but this is the best he can do I think it could be both because I feel like on the one hand like the kind of like Rami that we're used to for the past two seasons has kind of been again it's kind of been like the the melancholy sad boy who sort of just kind of you know just sort of like floats about in the world and like has like this one voice which is a you know which is kind of like this combination of like sadness but also um curiosity yeah or it's like slight kind of you know um and I feel like there's been in in the first season the only scene where the only kind of scene where he had to change that was when uh, Steve was with the drunk girls and he had to like kick the door down. Yeah, 
Um, and that requires such like extreme acting in terms of like him having to shout these words that like maybe we weren't. So this is the first time where he's had to kind of really Dig deep. act in a way that didn't demand that much, but did require like a lot of deep digging. And maybe he just couldn't do that. I feel like another reading of it could literally be like the character of Rami did not think that like he necessarily did anything wrong. And, you know, think about it this way, which was like, okay, he got married to Zainab less than 24 hours ago, but also means that less than 24 hours ago, this idea that he had, that like he could marry more than one woman because that was allowed in Islam. And that was like, what you know his friend told him um and something that he kind of seemed to just sort of accept that oh yeah okay like that 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 seems reasonable um you know i didn't need to answer any more questions so it's sort of like is this a character that is still sort of burdened by guilt but then when i was watching the episode further i kind of you know when he goes back to his house and he asks to see um amani and he's just like i made a mistake marrying zayna because actually i love you instead um, or like, you know, I want to be like, we, we, it's not even, I love you. And says so like, we need to be, yeah, he's like McTube, which is like, bro, I don't think so, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, but I feel like that's another telling thing, which is like, he doesn't even kind of like confess how he feels in that. It's just more like, you know, no, I, you know, um, I need to work on myself and in order to work on myself, we need to be together because that's what was supposed to happen. That was Allah's plan the whole time. Um, so this is a guy who's still again, and it goes back to my thing. Like this is a character who hasn't really changed yeah. since the beginning of season one. Like this is still someone who like projects his problems onto other people, especially and in including women. Yeah. Um, someone who like kind of presents the aesthetic of being like this deep emotional thinker that wants to kind of like improve and um, be a better person, but doesn't actually want to put the work in and like depends on other people to do that work for them. Um, well, you know, yeah. yeah, that's the thing that I think goes a lot to the narcissism and so- sociopathy. Like, like um, one thing about narcissists and sociopaths is that uh, they don't have um, empathy. But one of the other things about them is a lot of psychologists have arguments and but the consensus basically is that you actually can't change them that they're fundamentally unchangeable because the exact thing that they would need to change is the exact problem that you're trying to cure them of uh so it's kind of like a vicious cycle like what they would the the type of empathy and understanding of emotions that they need to see themselves correctly is the exact thing that you're um trying to cure them of but what's interesting about them is that they don't have uh, guilt they have shame whereas uh shame is a problem with uh who you are whereas guilt is a problem with what you did when you have when you have shame deep down you don't really think that you can change or but what you try to do is um you think you think that you're fundamentally something or other and you're just always looking for clues about what you really are so you feel like if i can manage my image or do enough impression management or point out enough enough good things things that I've done versus bad things, then I will reveal my fundamental unchanging self as being uh, good rather than bad. So it's like you mm-hmm. start, and you end up playing a game where um, you start trying to downplay or repress or erase the bad stuff you did and play up the good stuff you did or present an image. And, and you just kind of feel like if I, if I show enough of this impression or this image or convince enough people of this thing, then I will prove that I'm... Um, good, but if mm. I get discovered doing enough bad stuff or get caught doing enough bad stuff, then I'll reveal that my fundamental self is is bad. So these end up with all these repression and and 
word games and and gimmicky things that you're trying to do you know whereas with guilt it's like if someone who is subject to guilt does something um bad then they think hey i'm a good person that did something bad so what so yeah. what do i do to undo that i've got to make the person whole after the restitution and and but it, it's not a global judgment whereas a shame-based person if i get caught doing something bad, then I've proven that I'm actually a bad person. I'm not a good person that just did a bad thing. I'm a bad person. If I do things stupid, I'm a stupid person. And mm. the impulse is to hide, to cover up, to um, reframe. And that's kind of what like like Rami does. Rami tries to immediately um, do something superficial to um, that has to do with changing the impression of him like like i can do this i can do that i think that's why he's not thinking about the daughter because he's rushing into image repair you know like mm. if this ends here then it ends with me being a bad person so his first thing is to try to do what he can so that he can salvage being a good person whereas if he was a guilt-based person it wouldn't throw his whole identity into question it would just throw his deeds into question and he could focus on correcting the deed and thinking about the shake and Zainab. So I think it's a shame issue, which I think a problem is, I don't know if the show is not, is touching on this stuff accidentally because it itself is kind of self-aware or if it's doing it deliberately, but because um, he literally hides at the end. That's what he does. He doesn't face up to any of it. Yeah. He goes and hides in a car. That's a very shame-based uh, thing to do. It's like conceal yourself. I think they said, I think in an interview, um, Rami or someone else in the cast basically said that they wanted to bring Rami to like the lowest possible point in his life which was like one where he like sort of lost everything but also was kind of like did he really lose it i i i i i don't really know i sort of feel like he lost a lot because like he fucked up a lot of it but it wasn't one where it's like he literally can't go home now right and like i think one thing i was going to say earlier but i sort of felt got lost in like i got lost in the conversation was like i i also don't know where like rami goes from here because yeah i was wondering they spent two seasons kind of they spent like two seasons creating this character that like isn't particularly likable that we don't even know that much about like really thinking about it and one that hasn't really again one that hasn't really progressed since the first season like there has been no kind of character change so like to the point where even after i finished season two i was kind of like yeah it was okay but like i don't know i could live without seeing another season yeah right? exactly i wouldn't really think about what happens next or what would happen to him uh, i can't lie i would want to see another season but not because i like the character or the story so much as your what you just said i'll just be having morbid curiosity how can they salvage a full season of more of this guy so i i would tune in but it would be for that yeah like like kind of like a, a train wreck and you know something you said like i think for a shame-based for a shame-based person losing face losing your image in an undeniable way i think that is losing uh everything so i think it's kind of interesting that the mm-hmm. fact that the the creator thinks of this as him losing everything i don't know if that what that what that means because I, I i agree like to most people that's not losing everything but to like to like, to like a shame-based person like there's no way to spin this in any other way except you're a scumbag you know he yeah he, you know and i think to someone who's shame-based that is losing everything this is the last point that i had that um and then i'll turn over to you guys to have any final points that you have well first off um Nashua, about what we just said do you have any uh, thing you want to weigh in or uh yeah i think i said it a bit earlier but same sentiment where it's i i don't know where they could take this guy besides like if he like went to therapy and found like a new version of himself because i think everything is just him meandering searching for like some type of identity right or some type of like um i don't know some type of like self-awareness but like also like feeling good about himself like he wants to be a good person and like righteousness so i the only thing i can see is like a season three where like he goes to therapy to like actually 
actually fix himself. That's like the only thing I can see. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but I don't know. I have the morbid curiosity. I, I don't want a season three, but I'll watch it. Yeah, same same here. <laughs> I have the same morbid curiosity. One thing I'll say, it's not really about the show, but I think it's about the culture in general. Um, something I've noticed, this happens with a lot of... Um, um, criticism geeks and and criticism nerds, whether whether it's literary criticism or film criticism, or whatever. But um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the name right, but Roland Barthes or however you pronounce his name, and the mm. death of the author. One thing I find very interesting is that whenever I talk about TV shows or movies or whatever, there'll be a certain type of white criticism um, pedant who will always come up and goes, well, you know by death of the author, but they'll talk about it like it's a proven law, like the theory of relativity. Like, you know, like, you know, the theory of relativity um, displaced uh, the Newtonian model of physics, but that's science. That's like a hard proven thing that the Newtonian model of physics was insufficient to describe uh, what was happening in under gravity. But these guys kind of talk like it's an objective truth that Bart prove the death of the author but that's just a opinion you know what i mean so like what happens is um a lot of people just take it as some kind of proven scientific law a scientific fact that the death of the author is the right way to think about things and the author is kind of um irrelevant and if you're trying to take in what the author thinks about a work into uh your analysis of the work or what the author's ultimate viewpoint on life is as being somehow relevant and i think it's kind of a very narcissistic way as a fan to look at things to think that, to think i alone can infuse all the meaning i want into this without having to worry about a pesky uh author I'm, I'm the only authority i need as to what this thing says but i think that being the prevailing way of criticizing things has kind of created a class of creator who welcomes a relieved responsibility it's like hey the author is dead i'm just here to just put things down on paper you provide the meaning you know uh i don't have to provide any meaning to this you know uh that to the author yeah there you go and that's where i think a lot of these type of shows and movies are are coming from like people feeling liberated by that relieved responsibility but also it's like the showing hey look how hip i am i'm extra enlightened i know about the death of the author i'm i'm not even trying to act like i'm alive i I mean i don't know i feel like i don't watch enough like tv or movies to kind of suggest that it's a trend or anything but my kind of thought on that and just like the whole and we've spoken about this a few times just about how um like the kind of questions that Rami set like the show kind of sets up um or like the kind of observations it makes but sort of like leaves flat is kind of a um it's sort of like trying to have your cake but also eat it too in the way that like it kind of it presents this idea of like being this show that's much more about much more than just kind of your standard narratives about like Muslims or standard narrative about like young men etc but because it doesn't kind of because it's sort of very uh, wary of like going any further in case it does end up making a point and that point might and I don't know like maybe maybe it's this fear that like if the point that's being made isn't like correct then that could do really bad for your ratings or it might kind of be the thing that defines the show rather than everything else so like if you throw up everything in the air and leave it to like ambiguous interpretation that's only done on podcasts and like on essays and everything, then that works in your favor by making it like a show that kind of causes conversations. Um, And I sort of wonder like, is this kind of commissioning by on the basis of um, shows that will kind of generate those types of conversations and think pieces and stuff like that and therefore present itself as kind of like much more culturally relevant than it actually is or will be in like the next few years. I don't know. I mean, again, I don't really watch enough stuff to really like make that 
that kind of claim, but... No, I agree. It's a very good uh, question. It's a question I've had uh, as well. Yeah, so uh, Nashra, uh, what do you think about that and any other final thoughts you have in, in general? Uh, yeah, I was thinking a lot about it too. I guess I guess the, the show has received both seasons overwhelmingly positive, which is, um, I think people are scared to criticize it, which like I usually will defend things or like I, I just assess things as they are, but I think I do think like a red flag goes up in my head. I don't know if it does for you too when something is overwhelmingly received positive and then yeah. some of the writers mm-hmm. yeah. have like thin skin on the team where in season one when there was a little bit of I wouldn't even say like bad faith criticism it was just like actually really good faith criticism but people would point out how women were written or, or um, the anti-blackness on the set even how it like maybe come, it trickles down into the writing and then um, Rami this season and the, there's another writer and she wrote um, the movie um, Hala that came out and screened at TIFF last year and both of them had like meltdowns on social media for like one critical tweet out of like rave mm. reviews rave, and I think so I think that's like yeah, Hussein's so point yeah and I think so that's like Hussein's point of like they're, maybe the writer's room is scared of like actually taking a stance and like holding a position properly and like they fear that because if it doesn't go the right way or land the right way they don't want backlash and when this season was released and people binged it on Hulu right away a few Muslim people criticized like um, the inclusion of Mia Khalifa and a few other things that went on and Rami right away like issued this statement and he was like I'm not a perfect Muslim blah 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 I'm like nobody's saying that like so I guess like, yeah, that, for that's me, such overkill yeah, this conversation about criticism and death of the author is so interesting because he he clearly care, he's very sensitive to these things and he's attuned to it because he's like looking at tweets with five likes because of the way the response was ran. I was like, only like five likes on this tweet that you're mad about. And you have like thousands of supporters and like media, like New York media, LA media love the show and like praise it like overwhelmingly. Um, and yeah, and he, there was one Atlantic review that was a nuanced kind of critique, but I think it's a little funky that like, and then he like listed a bunch of Muslims to look up to if you want to follow real muslims and I, oh, <laughs> it was I, so I, I, bitter I, 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 oh i hate that i mean i'm sorry i'm sorry no no no, 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 no. go ahead because i i get that question a lot too right i don't wear the headscarf but i do uh fast and i identify as muslim and i pray um not five times a day but like whatever um i believe in god things like that so i guess i would be clumped in the rami types by some people um but i don't do the stuff mm. rami does like i don't i don't do that kind of stuff and i believe like my faith guides my morality or whatever but if somebody criticizes something i wrote so i wrote a viral vice article once that's one of the most i think still viral pieces vice ever had about muslims and drinking and i got some criticism i didn't have meltdowns because i got overwhelming praise so I, I don't know. There's something to be said about a show that gets over. It's like Gia Tolentino, T- Tolentino's Trick Mirror, right? There's no bad reviews of that book. Have you and, read the book? I haven't read the book. Um, I have like skimmed it. I couldn't finish it. It's not as great as as the reviewers wrote, but Rami's a media darling too, right? So like no matter what he touches, it's going to get positive reviews because nobody wants to punch down or critique a Muslim show. The first, quote unquote, it keeps getting called the first Muslim like series. It's actually not. Little Mosque on the Prairie came before it which was in Canada, but aired in the United States. I don't know. It's interesting. That's all I have to say. We were talking about this thing on this show, like we call them like new blacks or blue check blacks. But I've noticed that every minority group uh, has them in media, you know, their version of like the blue checks or whatever. But I noticed one thing about uh, blue checks across the board is that they always have to over-exaggerate the novelty in terms of representation of anything that they do like they have to kind of erase the past you don't have to like 
erase the past and and overemphasize your firstness just to have value. But I know that's just a general thing uh, they do. Did anybody have anything that they felt uh, they didn't get to say? I mean, I was going to say just like one very quick thing sure. about the uh, like whole diversity thing, which is that like I, I sort of get it in the sense that in some ways, like the kind of ongoing in like in media worlds anyway, like the kind of conversations around like diversity and representation have been like one of the most effective things in sort of getting at least kind of a very base level of diversity in at least kind of like newsroom environments where I've worked at. Um, and I'm sure like that kind of translates in like the entertainment space as well. So when you kind of see that like this is one of the very few things that has been effective in sort of like getting at least kind of a surface level change, you know, it's become something that I feel like lots of people become very protective about, which means that even kind of any sort of critique from anyone, like doesn't even have to be someone with lots of followers. It's like any sort of like mild critique of that can be like a real shock to those foundations because, you know, once you kind of go beyond that diversity, diversity um justification um and you actually start like engaging with the work like all of a sudden um you know all of a sudden like the kind of easy ride that um you've you may be may be given like is sort of been shaken and I don't know. I, I never knew that Ramin was so kind of like responsive on Twitter because um, I messaged him a few times before I had to go to his public publicist. Um, but I do know that I had a little bit of a run in with uh, Kumail Nanjiani back in the day when his uh, movie, The Big Sick, came out. And I don't know if you guys remember like the trailer, but like the trailer kind of like indicated what the kind of narrative would be. And especially like how he was kind of like, I think there's a scene in the trailer of The Big Sick where um, Kumail's character is very kind of like rude and and quite um a break like uh quite uh i kind of what the what the right term is but basically like quite rude to like the pakistani woman who is uh coming to like i uh, totally know what see, you mean uh, i found it very uh, problematic but yeah I, I try to think of a word but yeah. yeah and i i was not a blue check twitter person at this time i feel like i only had like maybe over a thousand followers and i kind of just made the statement and i had a nap and when i woke up my um my mentions were like blowing up because Kamel Nanjiani had like quote tweeted me. Um, and he not only had quote tweeted me, but he like quote tweeted this thread about how like, you know, the movie was seen by like all these muftis and everything and like everything checks out and like, you know, I should see the movie before I make any ju- like judgments or anything. And it was kind of amazing. It was my first interaction with a celebrity and it was just like very bizarre to kind of see how like even that kind of low level criticism from someone who should not have kind of, you know, who was just like a lowly, like not even Buzzfeed writer like a kind of media nobody in the UK to kind of like warrant that kind of reaction, I think is uh, sort of indicative of like how even though diversity as a concept has been very effective in these spaces, um, it's I feel like everyone who's sort of involved also knows how precarious it is. So for lots of people, it's not in their interest to kind of like go beyond that. Uh, and I'm not saying that Rami is one of yeah. those people, but I feel like that is kind of something that is very prevalent, at least kind of in various media industries. I have something to say about that interaction you've had uh, I've had similar interactions with different uh, black people in media where they've lobbed onto things that I've said and and what I think happens with a lot of these people is that I think that precarity that you're talking about has them worry because I think they kind of realize you know like Lena Dunham was called like the voice of a generation they want to be like the voice of a right. racial yeah. a racial generation and I think that they're very sensitive to criticism from within the community not so much and I'm not saying this, this is what Rami's doing I, I don't know him personally whatever the interactions i've had with those type of people in the black community i think they're not so worried about oh my god my people don't like me so much as if enough of my people are shown as being vocal i'm going to be exposed as not really being the voice of this racial generation 
to the white people who uh, have elevated me, I'm going to be replaced by someone they see as more authentic. It's like, you know, white, white people yeah. judge, I feel like, foreign food, for example, by this illusion of authenticity, you know, and so much rather than if it's good. So it's kind of like, uh, hey, white people are going to feel like, hey, I really love this great Chinese restaurant that I found, but I found out it's actually not authentic. It's just a P.F. Chang style chain. I feel so duped. I'm going to give it one star on Yelp now and find another uh, real authentic Chinese restaurant. I feel like it's that's mm-hmm. how they kind of view it. I, but that's just speculation. I have no way to prove it. It's just my feeling. Yeah, I think I think there's I think there's like a good amount of truth in that. No, I think it's like a, the best thing I took like from the last few minutes was just people are very protective of like these, I guess, blue checks of our own, each of our own respective groups. They're so protective and everything feels like a wound. And like I, Hari Kondabalu is sensitive in the same way where because he like did the Apu movie. But I think, yeah, I think I think that they just there's so much praise that they're worried. It's weird. I don't know. That's such a funny story with Kumail Nanjiani, though. That's a cool way to end on knowing that. Thanks, Hussein. True fighter for Pakistani women. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks so much for doing this, guys. And uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like talking about the show is much more fun than watching it which yeah this was better yeah. than watching it i like sped watched it <laughs> yeah 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 so I, it was good in that regard at least and yeah thanks and have a good one guys thank you so much thank you.